Yesterday, we gave an introductory talk about Dhamma in general. We spoke of many general aspects of Dhamma. Today, we will speak about the Dhamma, which is the heart of Buddhism in particular. We spoke of how Dhamma includes everything, how everything is Dhamma without any exception. Now we'd like to go deeper into the Dhamma, especially the Dhamma that is named Itapajayatampaticha Samupato, or a little more short, Paticha Samupato. Paticca Samupata, which is the heart of Buddhism. This is the natural principle which governs and controls everything, at least all of the things which are sankhara, that is all those all the conditioned compounded things the things which are sankata, conditioned, concocted, compounded. If, if you understand this subject of paticca samupata, then you will understand the heart of Buddhism, because this is exactly the, the thing that the Buddha was enlightened to. The Buddha's enlightenment was all about Paticca Samupata. This subject is easier to understand if we divide everything into two categories. All things can fall into one of two categories. There's the category of Sankata. Excuse us for using the Pali words, but it's easier. Sankata are the things which are compounded by causes and conditions, the things which are concocted through causes and conditions. And then the other category is that which is asankata. Asankata means they're not like that, not compounded by causes and conditions. All the things which we call problems are within the category of sankata, compounded, concocted things. You'll never find a problem in the asankata, the uncompounded category. Thus, the the subject of Bhatiya Samupata is that of the sankata, the compounded, concocted things. There's an ancient metaphor which expresses this. It's the metaphor of the vata. Vata is a cycle or something that spins round and round and round. Especially we, in India, they speak of the vata sangsara, the, the spinning around of samsara or the whirlpool 
of samsara. This vatai is a metaphor, a symbol for the the concocted, compounded things which spin around, cycling around like a whirlpool all the time. The meaning of this metaphor is that we fall into the whirlpool. We get sucked up into the whirlpool and trapped within it so we can't get out. Once we're caught in the whirlpool, we can't get out. And so we drowned. And we drowned in the whirlpool over and over and over again because we can't get out, so we continually are drowned in it. This is the meaning of the vata samsara, the, the cycles, the whirlpool of samsara. It sucks us in and we're trapped so that we drowned over and over again. <clears throat> An easy, obvious example of this is how we get trapped into the whirlpool of positive and negative, spinning around from positive to negative to positive to negative over and over again without, without getting free, even till the last day of our lives. Or if we put it in simple terms which a child can understand, we call it being trapped in the whirlpool of gladness and sadness. And then there are the traditional world words in this part of the world that speak of the whirlpool of birth and death. The cycles of being born and dying and then being reborn and dying again and the cycle of birth and death over and over again. This is another way of speaking about the whirlpool. But the vata, which is more subtle and profound, the vata, which is true on a more subtle and deep level, is the vata that has just three elements. It begins with desire, some kind of wanting and desiring. And then we act, there is action. And then there is the fruits, the results of the actions. And then we desire, then another desire and another action. And then the fruits of that action and then more desire an action based on the desire and the results of that action and then desire, action, fruits of the action and desire and it spins around and around like this. In one day of our life, how many times do we desire? How many desires are, happen in one day? And with each desire then we act to satisfy the desire and then we get what we're, we get or we don't get. And so there are some results of that action. How many times are we desiring? How many times are we acting? What are the different results of all these actions? You can see how this 
whirlpool of samsara, of desire, action, and reaction, spins around many times, even in one day of our life. These three conditions or modes are the symptoms or modes of what we call paticca samupata or dependent origination. It happens over and over again, this, these cycles of dependent origins, origination are spinning around many times each day. So we need to become very familiar with these cycles as they happen each day of our lives. We need to get very familiar with them and know them, understand them intimately. So all the problems that we face each day of our lives are just symptoms of this, these cycles of dependent origination. The problems of regarding our health, of our families, of economics, our work, then all the ordinary gaining and losing, winning and losing of ordinary life. All these are modes or examples of the spinning around of the vata samsara of dependent origination. Our minds are imprisoned in this whirlpool of dependent origination. They're trapped and they can't get out, so they just keep spinning around and around and around. If the mind can get free of this prison, the mind can get out of this whirlpool. That is what we call vimutti, salvation or liberation. When the mind can get free of this constant spinning around. That is the meaning of spiritual salvation. Other religions may explain salvation in different ways. They have, may have a different style of speaking. They may use different metaphors. But in Buddhism, this is how we speak about salvation that the mind is trapped in this whirlpool of dependent origination. It keeps spinning around in this whirlpool until one day it finds a way to get free. It gets outside of and free of all that spinning around. This is how we explain salvation in Buddhism. <clears throat> to Salvation is to get free of the bars and the cage of this, these cycles of dependent origination. When one gets free, when one gets totally free of that, in Buddhism it's called to realize Nibbana. Other religions may talk about it differently. Christianity might call it to dwell in the kingdom of God. Or the Hindus might speak of 
being united with the eternal self. <clears throat> but the meaning is, in practice, the meaning is the same. To escape from these cycles, the spinning around of the origination. If we want to explain it in a way that a child can understand, then we talk about getting free of the circle that makes us laugh and cry. There's this circle that is making us either laugh or cry all the time, one after the other. Salvation is to get free of that circle of needing to laugh and cry. The way of speaking about this for adults is to say to get, get out of all problems, to get free of all problems. This means both the kind of theoretical problems or questions, the theoretical questions that trouble us, as well as the practical problems of daily life which we need to solve. To get free of all these is the meaning of salvation. Please ask yourself very honestly whether you have these kind of problems. In your life, do you have these kind of problems? Do <clears throat> Does your mind spin around with these questions, issues, and difficulties? In your life, are you trapped still within the cycles of dependent origination? Ask yourselves why it is that you must go there and come here. Why is it that you have to study this and study that? Is it because you are imprisoned in the, behind the bars of dependent origination? When the mind is trapped in the cage of dependent origination, then it is selfish. Whenever the mind is in this cage, then it will be thinking and acting selfishly. To get free of this cage of dependent origination is to overcome selfishness. Nowadays, the entire world is under the power of dependent origination. The whole world is, is encaged in this stream, of, in this whirlpool, in this spinning around of Paticca Samupata. So it's a world that is totally under the power of selfishness. And so the results that necessarily follow from all that selfishness are all the crises which trouble us in this modern world so that it's impossible to find any peace or happiness in this world. We can say in a way that we don't have to fear that anyone will contradict us or disagree that everyone in the world 
is selfish. Everyone in this world is selfish. From the great powers of the world to the little countries, they're all selfish. The developed countries are selfish and the developing, the underdeveloped countries are selfish. The employers are selfish and the employees, the workers, are selfish. The buyers are selfish and the sellers are selfish. The merchants are selfish and the consumers are selfish. Everyone in this world is selfish. Everyone is under the power of this dependent origination. Everyone is trapped in this cage, in this whirlpool. The political problems of this world are the selfish matters of selfish people. The economic problems are the selfish problems of selfish people. The social problems are the selfish matters of selfish people. The whole world is having to deal with this problem of selfishness. Everyone in this world is creating and having to suffer from this problem of selfishness. The political parties are unable to solve any of the world's problems because they're stuck in selfishness. Stuck in this selfishness, there's no peace within the political parties. So how can they ever work for peace in the world? The political parties don't understand dependent origination and so they don't have the power or ability to control dependent origination. And so our politicians and the parties are just spinning around over and over again in this selfishness of dependent origination. And so there's no chance that we can depend on these politicians to bring peace to the world. The cunning, the craftiness that we see so evident in politicians and economists, businessmen and everyone else comes from selfishness. And this selfishness comes from not understanding the spinning around of dependent origination. When we don't understand dependent origination, then we just, then we are selfish. So all the cunning and trickiness that mark human relationships nowadays are a result of that. The person who understands dependent origination recognizes that this, excuse me, the problem of selfishness 
arises because of the thing that we call self, because we attach to this thing called self or ego, then there is the problem of selfishness. The person who, if human beings understood dependent origination, then they would, they would see the futility of attaching to this thing called self, and then there would be no, no selfishness. Instead of selfishness, there would be correctness. People would just do what needed to be done. They would be honest, just, straightforward, and pure. And then there wouldn't be any more problems. Now we'll take a look at dependent origination itself. We'll focus our attention especially on this matter of Paticca Samupada itself. You can understand already from the words depending what we're talking about. Depending on this thing, a new thing happens. Depending on that thing, another thing happens. Depending on that thing, another thing happens. And on and on and on. Depending on things, new things keep happening. This dependent arising or happening or origination of new things, which goes on and on and on, is what we mean by dependent origination. All of our problems are like this our health problems, economic problems, family problems, social problems. All of these problems are because we don't understand and are unable to control dependent origination. All of these problems are just this depending on things and new things happening. And then it, it goes on like that continuously, whether it's health problems or family problems, they happen dependent on other things. And then this process just goes on and on. Because we don't understand that dependent origination, we can't, we can't control any of the situations. And so there arises selfishness and dukkha. All these problems are painful for us because we don't understand dependent origination. So you can see for yourself where dependent origination happens. Where is dependent origination happening? It's happening in each person every day. In our ordinary lives, in every one of us, we can find this dependent origination spinning and spinning around. These problems arising dependent on other things over and over again. But because we don't see it, we don't understand it, it keeps happening. We can't control it because we don't understand it. And so it keeps happening within each of us. In just one person or one individual, we can see all the symptoms of dependent origination. In these bodies, there are all the atoms and they join together to form molecules. 
which make up the elements which combine to form organs and all of these collected organs and parts make up the body. Within each person we can see this, the symptoms of dependent origination of depending on things, new things keep happening and that process goes on endlessly, constantly. And all of this can be seen within, within us. So we should look within, we should look very carefully until we can see this, all this truth and all these facts of dependent origination so we can see it clearly and understand how it happens. You don't have to go looking for it outside somewhere, just look inside and you will meet dependent origination. Or if we look outside of ourselves, we can find many external manifestations and symptoms of dependent origination. Sometimes we depend on material things. Sometimes we depend on other people. Sometimes we depend on events and experiences. All the time we are depending on other things and those things depend on further things. So this, this basic principle or reality of things depending on things, things happening because of other things, this goes on and on. So this is dependent origination outside of ourselves, external to ourselves. And each problem that happens is associated with other problems. Each problem is connected to other problems. And so in the end, all the problems connect up and depend on each other. All the problems in the world are interrelated, interdependent. This is the dependent origination of problems in the world. Nowadays, education is highly developed. We have very progressive education. Even so, our wonderful educations, our degrees and everything, cannot solve the problems of dependent origination. In spite of our highly advanced education, we like to call it advanced or that it's highly developed. It's unable to solve the problems of the world. We've got this education which produces science and technology. We've got this, all this high and advanced technology. But nonetheless, it can't deal with these problems of selfishness, with the spinning around of dependent origination. And so the technology doesn't solve any of the problems, and sometimes it just causes new ones. Even religion, which is supposed to deal with this problem directly, because of our advanced education and all our science and all our technology, Religion is unable to deal with the problems of selfishness because education, science, and technology now serve the selfishness. Instead of being used to end the selfishness, 
education, science and technology improve or increase the selfishness. And so religion alone is not able to solve the problem either. Originally it was supposed to, but now it, it doesn't have much of a chance. And so the selfishness just grows and grows through this process, these constant cycles of dependent origination. And we've got quite complex and highly developed philosophical systems. There are all kinds of philosophies in the world, but they can't solve this problem. All this thinking, all the speculation of philosophy can't solve the problems because it never deals with reality. Philosophy doesn't deal with the way things are. They just deal with our thoughts and speculations about things. So all the wonderful philosophies we've got can't solve any of the problems of selfishness. Our material development can't solve these problems. The philosophy, philosophical systems can't solve them. And so we remain trapped in the dependent origination of selfishness. Why do the problems in the world keep getting worse? Why does pollution in the world keep growing and growing? Why is there increasing crime? Why are there more murders, more rapes, and things like that? Why is there more and more drug addiction in all the countries of the world? And why do, are there more and more of these strange diseases that we can't do anything about? Why are all of these things happening? They're happening because we don't understand the causes of the problem. We don't understand that the cause of all these problems is independent origination. The root or fundamental cause of these problems is the fact that we don't know dependent origination. Our ignorance about dependent origination is the basic cause of all these problems. Because of this not knowing, this lack of understanding of dependent origination, then the defilements, our greed and hatred and anger and selfishness, can lead us around by the nose. We're led everywhere by this selfishness. And so we live in a way that just keeps creating more and more problems. The cause of this all is dependent origination, especially the fact that we don't know or understand dependent origination. And what's, what's rather pathetic is that when you have some understanding of dependent origination, when you know how it works at least a little bit, then you go and use that knowledge in a cunning way. We use this what knowledge of dependent origination we have in order to trick or take advantage of other people. This knowledge isn't, isn't used as wisdom, it's just used as cunning to get, get benefits from other people. We're constantly deceiving ourselves. We see that something is correct 
that it's the right thing to do, but it has no benefit for us. We don't get anything out of it, so we don't do it. And there's something else that we know is incorrect, that it's not right, but we get something out of it. There's some payoff or benefit for us, and so we do it. We keep deceiving ourselves, and so we keep acting according to selfishness instead of according to what is correct or according to Dhamma. And so how could it be otherwise that, than that our world is full of problems? Our families, our societies, the environment, the whole world is full of problems when everyone is behaving in this way. We're not honest or faithful to correctness or to truth. We're not faithful to the truth, we're only faithful to our own advantage, to our own interests and benefits. We don't care about what is right or what is true. We only care about the payoff that we get from something personally. And so we live in a world full of problems where truth and correctness don't really matter anymore. The only thing that matters is people's personal benefits and advantages. So it's a world of competition, of people struggling and fighting against each other. Not just between countries, but even in families. Even husbands and wives are fighting each other because of this selfishness. Because we're not faithful to what is correct. We don't have any ability to understand dependent origination. We're not faithful to the truth, so how can we ever see the truth? Not seeing dependent origination, we don't understand the original cause of all our problems. So we don't solve problems by eliminating the cause. Instead, we only deal with the effects and results, meaning our own personal benefits and advantages. Because of this lack of faith and sincerity, then we don't have any ability to solve any of the problems. We don't know what to do about Paticca Samupata. There's an old saying, we don't know whether it comes from Europe or Asia or the Middle East, but it's correct wherever it comes from. The saying goes, if one solves the problem at the cause, at the origin, then one is a lion cub. If you solve the problem at the at the end, at the results, then you're a puppy. If you go and take a stick and poke a lion with a stick, the lion won't mess around with the stick. It'll go at you. The lion isn't stupid. It knows what the problem is, and so it deals with the problem. But a puppy is stupid. If you take a stick and 
hit a poke the puppy with the stick, the puppy just bites the stick. And this will go on forever because the puppy doesn't know where the real cause is. So if one deals with the real cause, then one is a lion. But if one just messes around with the end of the stick, then you're a puppy. If we don't understand dependent origination, there's no way we can solve the problem at its origin or at its source. And so we'll just keep fooling around with the results, trying to readjust or or something the results. And that means that every time we try to solve a problem by rearranging the results, we'll just create new problems. And this will go on and on forever, an endless procession of the dependent origination of problems. We want to really deal with problems, we need to go to their source, to their origin. That means we need to understand dependent origination. So this is the importance of dependent origination or Baticca Samupata. It enables us to solve our problems at their origin. We can get to the source of the problems and end them there. This is the importance of Baticca Samupada, that it can free us. If we understand it and practice accordingly, it can free us of all of our problems from all dukkha. So we hope that you will be interested in dependent origination, that you will take it seriously enough, befitting its great importance and value. In the circle of Buddhists, we give a great deal of importance and honor to this matter of dependent origination. It's so important that we say that dependent origination can turn an ordinary human being into a Buddha. We mean that the Prince Siddhartha, who is just an ordinary person, became a Buddha through knowing, through fully realizing dependent origination. And then, with this knowledge, one is able to solve all the problems of the world. This is the importance that Buddhists give to dependent origination. This thing they call enlightenment, the enlightenment that they like to talk about, is simply the realization of dependent origination. The Buddha realized dependent origination fully, 100%, and that's what the Great Awakening or Enlightenment was about. The, he had for a number of years investigated, searched, researched, studied, until he finally discovered this truth of dependent origination. And that's how the enlightenment or great awakening of the Buddha came about. 
through realizing, through the, through the thorough realization of dependent origination. When we're in a good mood and have some free time, we like to sing songs to ourselves. When the Buddha is feeling well and has some free time, he sings dependent origination to himself. There's a place in the scriptures where the Buddha was alone sitting in the forest and instead of singing a song like we do, he recited dependent origination. This is the difference between a Buddha and ordinary people like us. And even after the enlightenment, he, the Buddha, insisted and emphasized that whoever sees dependent origination sees the Dhamma. If you see dependent origination, you see the Dhamma. And whoever sees the Dhamma sees me. That means whoever really sees the Dhamma sees the Buddha. You can't see the to just see the body, the physical body, the skin, the hair, and all that doesn't mean seeing the Buddha. Seeing the Buddha means simply seeing dependent origination by realizing what for oneself the reality of Paticca Samupada one then meets the Buddha. So we try our best to help you to understand and see for yourself the facts of dependent origination. We do what we can so that you can investigate this matter and see for yourself how, how it is. We try here to teach the Dhamma on the level of Paticca Samupada, which means the very heart, the essence of, of Dhamma, so that you can meet the Buddha for yourself. So that when you spend all this time in a Buddhist country, you at least eventually can meet the Buddha. So we beg and implore you to study and profoundly investigate this matter of dependent origination. If you study this deeply enough, sincerely enough, then you will have the understanding which is of great practical benefit in your lives. You will have the kind of knowledge which will enable you to to master, to control the stream of dependent origination. Up till now, this stream just goes on and on, keeping us trapped in all our problems and troubles. But when you see for yourself the facts of dependent origination, this knowledge will enable you to regulate or control that stream and then you won't have any more problems. So we, we beg you to, to study this until you can use it for the best thing there is in your own life.
in short, you will know the Dhamma, you'll know the essence, the heart of the Dhamma, and you will meet the real Buddha for yourself. It won't be just a stone Buddha or a metal Buddha. It will be the real living Buddha. If you meet and understand dependent origination. The heart of the matter is that when you see dependent origination, or you can call it itapajayata, conditionality if you wish, then you will see nature and the law of nature. You'll see all of nature and the law of nature in such a way that you you don't see any self anywhere. You see it all as being void of self. And when you see the world and all, all of nature in this way, then you, you don't concoct an ego or a self. And so there's no selfishness. You don't act selfishly in a way that inflicts pain and suffering on yourself. You don't do anything selfish which takes advantage of or harms others. And so in this way, you don't have any problems and you don't make any problems for anyone else. This is the heart of the matter, the importance of studying dependent origination. And then in this way, we've got a whole nother world when we see the world in this way, so that there's no selfishness, then it becomes the world of God. It becomes heaven, paradise, whatever you want to call it, because there's no more selfishness, because we've seen dependent origination. It's true that this matter is rather difficult. It's not such an easy thing to to realize the truth of dependent origination. On the other hand, it's not impossible. It's within the limits and abilities of all of us to investigate and understand dependent origination. The reason it's difficult is because there's a kind of instinct. This kind of goes against our instincts. We have an instinct that is always pulling us in the direction of self. There's an instinct towards self that's very interested and concerned about oneself. All the instincts will pull us in this direction. And so we need to kind of retrain that instinct. So it's no, no longer under the service of self but it becomes more and more in the service of truth. When we, if we retrain this instinct, then we can use it to, to discover that which has the most benefit for ourselves, namely to understand dependent origination. Now, dependent origination will reveal to us that everything just happens naturally. Everything goes according to the law of nature. 
and that nothing is really a self or ego or soul. Everything is not self. This is what dependent origination will reveal to us, that everything is not self, that everything is void of self. But if you want to call it a self, you can. Many people like to talk about self or soul or the higher self or whatever. If you want to talk that way, you can. But the important thing is to not let these, this talk about self turn into selfishness. So dependent origination, but if you really understand dependent origination, you won't have any more need for this business of self or soul. You won't need to talk about such things. You won't believe in them anymore because you'll see that everything is not self and you'll see that it all just happens naturally. If we're not careful, our ideas and thoughts about self will just get us into more trouble. But even if we can't get totally get rid of self, if at this point we can't yet eliminate self totally, we can at least use our understanding of dependent origination to control that self, to so that it doesn't create any dukkha. So in short, really understanding dependent origination leads to the end of self. But as long as we've still got some self, some ego, or whatever you want to call it, understanding dependent origination will enable us to keep that from turning into selfishness and creating dukkha. Okay, so now we will start to investigate dependent origination <clears throat> in a way that even our children can understand. So please listen carefully so you'll be able to teach this to your children. Okay, first of all, we've got eyes with which to see, ears for hearing, noses for smelling, tongues for tasting, skin for touching, and minds in order to think and know and experience things. We've got these six things in order to know and experience the world around us. This is the first thing to, to know. Okay, now we'll, we'll use the example of the eye to talk about how things happen. When the eye sees a form, there's some visual, visual form out there. When the eye sees the form, the person who understands dependent origination will think only that the nervous system, the visual nervous system is experiencing some visual stimulus. That's all the person that who, who understands dependent origination will think. But the person who doesn't understand dependent origination will think, me sees it, I see it, it's me that sees. This is the difference between knowing dependent origination and not knowing it. 
the person who doesn't know dependent origination is totally oblivious to how the nervous system works. But the person who understands it recognizes that seeing something just means that the nervous system is functioning. The eye and the optic nerve and part of the brain is just functioning the way it's supposed to. And that's all. You can compare this for yourselves in order to see the difference clearly between the person who sees dependent origination that it's just the eyes and eyes functioning in seeing a form just the nervous system working and the person who doesn't see dependent origination who thinks that I see it's me that sees between these two what how is the difference what are the reactions the the effects of these two different ways of seeing what would be the results of just seeing that oh it's just the nervous system working and what are the results of thinking that I see if you see these how the reactions differ how the results are quite different you'll see that between these two ways of seeing there's a total difference they're opposite it's to go in opposite directions if it's just the eye seeing a form just the nervous system functioning then you can understand I think that there won't be any selfishness no selfishness needs to come in if we understand that it's just the nervous system performing its natural function but if it's I see I think you can understand how that will lead to selfishness so it's it becomes the difference between seeing unselfishly and seeing selfishly this is the difference and the importance of the difference should be clear to everyone. If I sees something, if it's the ego seeing, then then there will be wanting and desiring and wanting to collect it and have it and keep it or become it or change it or something like this. And so then there will be all the complications and trouble of all that wanting and collecting and possessing and changing and struggling and all that. But if it's just the nervous system seeing, if it's merely the nervous system working properly and there's no I to see, no ego to see, then, <clears throat> then it's very simple and all we do is know what to do next we know that the eye the nervous system is functioning and we know what to do about it and that's all so the the difference between seeing according to dependent origination and not seeing according to dependent origination should be fairly clear now if we 
investigated further when the I, the physical I, E-Y-E, sees the form, then there arises a thing we call I consciousness, I, the visual or visual consciousness. It's consciousness arises dependent on the eye and the, the form out there or the ear in a sound. There's no such thing as eternal consciousness. It's not like consciousness is always there. But it just, it dependently arises when the eye interacts with a form. And then when there are these three things, the eye, the form, and the visual consciousness, there is contact. The experience makes contact with the mind. And this also happens through dependent origination. Those who do not understand dependent origination do not see that consciousness arises dependent on the senses. And so they think that consciousness is there all the time, that it's a one long continuous thing, and this consciousness lasts forever and ever, that it's some kind of eternal consciousness. But those who see dependent origination understand that consciousness just arises momentarily. When the eye sees a form, then consciousness arises, and then it passes away. And then an ear hears a sound, consciousness arises momentarily, temporarily. Consciousness is not something that was there from the start, but it arises only after there's the interaction between the, our nervous system and the world around us. Then consciousness arises momentarily. Those who see things truly or according to truth see that when there's the I and the form and then the consciousness, the visual consciousness, that these three things come together or they, the Pali word is sankati, sankati, or they, they communicate, they come together, they meet, they're kind of communicate with each other. And this means that there's contact, that the mind makes contact with the sense objects. This is another thing that is dependently originated. Contact isn't some permanent thing. It's just a temporary, momentary thing that happens when these three things come together when they communicate. And then when there is contact, when there is the momentary contact, dependent on contact, there is Vedana. One has a kind of feeling, or the, the experience has a feeling quality to it of positive or negative. And one who sees that this is just happening 
according to dependent origination, <coughs> sees that this Vedana is, isn't some self or soul. It's just a natural reaction to the sense experience and that there's no me that feels or it's not my feeling or anything like that. It's just another momentary thing which arises and will pass away. It's not something to be taken as being me or self or soul. The person who doesn't understand dependent origination gets stupid at this point. When feeling arises, the one who doesn't know about dependent origination will foolishly grab onto that feeling as being me or being mine. This person takes the, the Vedana very seriously as something really important, something lasting. And so they, they get all entangled with the Vedana. And this turns into liking and disliking. They get concocted by the Vedana so that there's liking and disliking. And then this leads on to all kinds of problems. So this is, this is the danger of Vedana if one doesn't understand dependent origination. Then one gets into trouble at this point. But the person who understands dependent origination saw that consciousness is not self, it's not me. And contact is neither self nor me. So any pleasant or unpleasant feelings, any sensations, that experiences that arise due to consciousness and contact, they can't be me either. They're just natural reactions to contact. It's just a natural experience. And seeing it in this way, one isn't deceived by Vedana, one isn't tricked by it. And so one doesn't get caught up into liking and disliking. One just takes it as natural and responds in an appropriate way without getting all lost in one's preferences and desires and all that. The person who doesn't understand dependent origination when feeling, or if a positive feeling arises, then they, they fall for it, they buy into it. And so they want to possess it, they want to cherish it, and so on. If a negative feeling arises, they want to get rid of it, they want to kill it, destroy it, annihilate it. And so in this way, what's called dhanha or desire, craving, arises. Positive vetana stir up positive desires and negative vetana stir up negative desires. But the person who understands dependent origination sees things differently. If it's a positive feeling, oh, it's just a positive feeling. If it's a negative feeling, oh, it's it's just like that. It's just the way things happen. It's natural. This is just 
the way things go. And so desire or craving doesn't get stirred up. There's no need to create, to manufacture desire or craving. This is the difference between knowing and not knowing dependent origination regarding the Vedana. So the foolish person ends up enslaved to the Vedana. So all of you, are you enslaved to the Vedana or not? If one is the slave of the Vedana, then one is trapped and it will just bring on dukkha for one. Everyone in the world must struggle morning, afternoon, and night because they are slaves to the Vedana. So the danger of Vedana is that it stirs up self. Because we are stupid about this, these Vedana, because we don't understand them, then we create, we concoct self out of it. Because we, we don't understand the feelings, the Vedana, then we fall for them, we become enslaved by them. And then in our enslavement, we create the self, the ego, the me, the soul that is enslaved, that is trapped. This is the problem, the, the danger of the Vedana. Vedana leads to dhanha, which is foolish desire. Any kind of stupid desire is called dhanha. And then dhanha leads to, or conditions, the sense of self, thinking that it's, some, it's me that experiences, it's, it's me that wants, that desires. This is called upadana, attachment or clinging. This clinging to desire, to vedana, is as being self, as being me is called attachment or upadana. This upadana or clinging towards self then gives rise to a strong feeling of being someone or something. We personify the self. We create an identity or personality around it. And this is called pawa or existence. It's the existence of self. Whether it happens in the womb or it happens outside the womb, it's, it's the same. There is this existence of a personality, of a person, of an ego. And then this, this be this ripens and becomes mature until it's born as a full-blown ego. One has a full-blown ego which then behaves selfishly, creating problems, creating dukkha. Because of the ignorance about how all these things work, then the feeling has stirred up 
desire and detachment and then identification and personality and then the ego is born and with it selfishness and dukkha so the when there is this elusive delusive self when there is this illusion of self being a personality this is called pawa and then as it ripens ages matures then there is the what is called birth the ego is born the i am is born in the mind this is called jati or birth this is the the full grown fully matured birth of ego the self is now fully ripened and is born as self as ego this birth of ego doesn't just happen once it happens over and over again many times in a day the person who doesn't understand the teachers samupada can understand how there is birth many times in one day but anyone who understands dependent origination will understand what it means to be born over and over again what this birth of ego is all about now when ego is born when this me is born then everything that it associates with is taken to be mine so birth is the birth of atta of self in the full meaning of the word self and then everything else is taken to be ataniya things belonging to self related to connected to self and so now everything is become a mess there aren't just natural things anymore there's self and things that belong to self and then all the complicated relationships and hassles and burdens and troubles of self and of self of ataniya and uh, of ata and ataniya and so this is this is the dukkha life has now been turned into dukkha has become miserable because of all the self and of self so things being this way you ought to know how to control how to manage the flow of paticca samuppatta so that it doesn't become trouble it doesn't make dukkha for you the details on how to manage the stream of dependent origination are will take a while to explain and we don't have any more time today so we'll talk about it at a later date for now let's wrap things up by saying that dukkha happens because we are ignorant of paticca samuppada because we don't understand dependent origination we suffer on a later date we'll talk about what to do about that how to manage the flow 
of dependent origination. But for now, time is up. You've listened very carefully as we thank you for your attention and effort. We'll continue again later. So don't forget walking without a walker. Please have a nice, peaceful walk back to the center. Just walking, just the natural function of walking without the stupidity of a walker. Doing without a doer is a lesson all the time. This is a lesson we can study every moment, doing without a doer. So thank you and we'll see you tomorrow.